Welcome, my name is Tanai, and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. I want women to have the freedom to express themselves unapologetically so they can create the lives and the relationships that they deeply desire. After a decade of trying to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, I realized that there's actually no such thing. So drop all of your preconceived notions and open up your mind and your heart to the conversations that I'm gonna be having on this podcast. This is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia and have deep and radically vulnerable conversations with my guests about what it really takes for people to create authentic and intimate connections and relationships. This is Commitment Phobia. Hello, everybody. Today I'm joined by Mike Idella, who's a mindset and performance coach. This is our first time having a conversation. Well, we spoke on the phone, but this is the first time that we're actually interacting with each other. Um, I found him through a friend of mine who posts his stuff a lot on Instagram. And so I went on like a rabbit hole of Mike's stuff <laughs> and his posts and his podcasts and his messages super aligned with the messages that, that I like to share and the kind of work that I've done. So I'm really excited to to see where our conversation goes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to this. So tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you commit and what you're committed to in your life. Yeah, I, um, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I, like you said, work as a mindset and performance coach, uh, which means I help people really with their mental, emotional and spiritual health. Um, so I'm committed to helping people live as healthy and happy as a, of a life as possible for them. I love that. Very clear. How did you get into that? Mm, I've been coaching my whole life. Um, started off doing a lot of strength and conditioning and more physical aspects and then um, taught yoga for a while and really dove into uh, the more like mental and, and emotional aspect of why people are doing the things that they do. You know, I was really interested in why guys or women or just people in general go to the gym um, and is the gym the best way to work through maybe some of the issues that are coming up for them, mm. which then took me down many more rabbit holes. Um, and that's led to where I am at today. Really mm. we're using uh, all these different modalities and tools that I've studied over the years to uh, kind of drag and drop depending on uh, like the time and the space and the energy that someone has to commit to themselves. Hmm. I love that. And and when you say, is the gym really the best place for people to get what they're looking for? What do you mean? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. I mean, the classic example is, is the guy who goes to the gym and just wants to bench press and build this big, you know, muscular chest. Um, and he's really just like pushing away his problems or, or, you know, trying to avoid some more difficult conversations or with either himself or with other people in his life. Um, and so the gym can be a mask. Uh, and, when, and it's tricky because it's a positive one, right? Like it's obviously healthy or to be active and, and yeah. strong, but um, to a certain degree is where if we're being honest with ourselves, it has had a tendency, at least in my own life, to be um, not as beneficial as I thought it was. Mm. And so yeah, doing like a self audit of really why you're doing the things that you're doing has been, uh, you know, really beneficial for me and a lot of my clients. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
it's like, it's like getting the external um, results for something that you're really looking for internally, right? Mm-hmm. Like thinking that the body looking a certain way is going to make you feel a certain way or going to get you certain results in your life. Yeah, it can just be another external validation factor, right? Like money or cars or clothes or sexual partners or whatever it is that people have. Um, yeah, the gym can be another one of those. And, you know, I always say if you have maybe 90 minutes a day to do something active or not even do something active, but do something for yourself is, you know, sitting in the car for 15 minutes, getting into the gym, doing an hour workout and driving 15 minutes back home, the best use of that time. Um, and for a lot of people with some of the goals that they have of, you know, wanting to command more from their life, that's usually not the case. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, so something that, that I'm hearing you say a lot is kind of getting into the, why do I want what I, what I want? And that's something that we spoke about um, in our previous conversation about um, this proverbial mask that you described. Um, like the, the proverbial mask that you're, that you're wearing and then taking that off and looking at why do you want, um, why do you do what you do and want what you want? Yeah. So what was that process like for you when it came to, um, intimacy and relationships? Mm, I mean, I've, I felt like I've always wanted to be connected and I've always loved connecting with other people and I never necessarily understood how to do that. And so um, when I was younger, I thought it was a lot through physicality, you know, with women. And um, as I got older and I started to learn more about what truly fulfilled me, it was uh, being vulnerable and developing deeper connections on, you know, that mental and emotional level that uh, really brought me closer to the people that I wanted to be close to. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I, I'm recently developing like a new relationship with the word vulnerability, because to me, vulnerability was like saying what's on your mind and speaking about the taboo, speaking about the things that people don't talk about, but vulnerable, vulnerable just means being susceptible to being hurt, which really we all are all the time. Right. So, you know, something that I love that, that, that I've heard you talk about is not showing weakness as a man, you know, and that message that men get of don't show, don't show weakness. So in your experience and, and with the men that you've worked with or your clients, um, how did you start getting in touch with that side of you? And, and, you know, despite the fear of being looked at as weak or feeling weak. Yeah, totally. I was just talking about this on my men's group call last night. Um, about really how vulnerability just requires the most amount of courage. And it's like, that's like the real masculine identity, right? It's like mm. being courageous and stepping out in that way. And so, um, you know, there's different tools and, and allies that you can develop. And so uh, one that I've developed and I encourage everyone to do is uh, allies within your life, whether that's friends or partner, um, but starting off the conversation with something as simple as, hey, you know, this is really vulnerable for me to share, um, but I want to share it is now a good time. Or is this a place that, that, you know, would feel okay to express myself in this way? And then usually the people that are around you are spending a lot of time with you 
really care and love you and, and want what's best for you. So they'll say, yeah, of course, Mike, no problem. Whatever, whatever you need, let, let's sit down. And then now the floor is kind of set for you to express yourself in that vulnerable way. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, what were some of the things for you that were the hardest to share at first that you found, found yourself like having an extra difficult time sharing? Yeah. And I think it's the, uh, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I think it's the things that are most taboo. And so the things, usually it's like sexual things. Those are the hardest because you can't see those. And so people don't know about those experiences. Usually they happen behind closed doors. It's not as public of a, you know, experience most of the time. And, um, and so those are the hardest things, you know, what you want in that area, um, how you feel about that area of your life, uh, what intimacy and sex means to you. Right. Yeah. You know, it's even, even, even like now I, I'm, I'm discovering things that men in particular experience that I had no idea about. Like, like I had no idea how many men were in their heads before having sex with a woman because they're like wondering, what does she want? Is she going to get attached? Like, will you know, will I hurt her? Um, and that there's also just a lot of performance anxiety and not just like, there isn't, it's not like a diagnosis, like the, the men that have performing anxiety, no, like on some level, men have experienced like a fear of not being, you know, not performing or not being the macho man that, that they're needed to be in bed. Yeah. Have well, you, I ask you, I mean, are they, do they need to be that macho man? Sometimes like if, if there's a, is there, I mean, the question, if, if the question is, is there a desire for me for them to be the macho man, then yeah, there's, there's definitely an expectation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with a lot of guys, it's getting clear, you know, I, yeah. I read a stat the other day, like um, ED or erectile dysfunction is up 1000% in the past 15 years. No and way. so there's a lot of factors to that, but you know, men are, softer in a lot of ways and um, Mm. mentally emotionally physically and then Mm. you know intimately and so um, the ways to combat that can be through some environmental factors you know like um, plastics as an example is one that really hurts men processed foods uh, you know not hydrating enough drinking too much alcohol substance abuse all of those things are going to affect your performance Um, but also the things that you're ingesting through your eyes and through your ears. And so porn is one that's really terrible. And that's been on the rise, you know, tremendously in the past 15 years. Uh, Obviously those things are around before, but just not in your pocket at all times. And so, um, yeah, so it's really tricky because there are so many different expectations of what you should do and um, communicating with your partner uh, about what it is that you want and what they want can really be freeing in, in that in those intimate moments mm. and not every time too it's a fear right it's not sexy to be like does this feel good do you yeah. want to this <laughs> do we do this and so there's like which is like practice and then like play the game and then you could check in like a month a week down the line and then you know continue along that path right yeah it's just you know, one of my friends, um, who's also a coach, I love that he says, you have to know what game you're playing in order to play full out. So of course it makes sense to create that safety of, if, you know, if you know what game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
so yeah, you know, you, you spoke about the dangers of porn and, and also the hypersexualization of everything. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that creates this um, insecurity and, and stress? Yeah, I mean, it's a, your attention, right? So in today's world, especially, um, your attention is worth a lot of money. And we only have a finite amount of attention every day. And so if that attention is going towards things that are outside of yourself or things that don't necessarily make you feel more comfortable with who you are and who you want to be, um, then it's going to be detrimental to you during specific times in your life, whether that's asking someone out on a date, you know, asking for a promotion, creating a new business, um, being intimate in the bedroom, um, all of that anxiety just builds up from the intake that you're ingesting through, you know, your eyes or your ears. Mm. All right. So it's like, like what you're saying is that uh, however you're feeding yourself throughout the day with what you're looking at and what you're doing is then going to impact how you're going to show up sexually. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, 100%, that's the case. And so if you're watching, um, you know, certain things on the internet and then you coming into a real human being that really wants to engage with you, but you're living a fantasy in your head while you're engaging with that human being, it's not like there's no presence involved with that, which people can feel, especially when they're really intimate. And so, um, recognizing that that might be an area to grow and then possibly even communicating that if you have the courage again with your partner and then developing your own ways of really being intimate. Mm -hmm. Like some of the most intimate ways that me and my partner uh, engage with each other is just from eye gazing where we'll just sit like really close to each other, look right into our eyes for three to five minutes. And it's like uh, extremely intimate and leads us to a much deeper connection um, in other times when we want to be intimate. Yeah. Wow. I, I, yeah. Eye gazing is something that's completely underrated and it's insane how it can be more intimate than even getting naked. Mm-hmm. You know? It can, it can add to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, considering that, it, of course, like a lot of people watch porn to, you know, to, to, um, like as, as part of their self-pleasure practice or to, you know, relieve stress or whatever, but, but considering that also it's, it's a place where people are learning what to do and how to behave, what do you think would then be a much healthier or different way for people to start learning, you know? Cause there's so many people out there who don't even know what they want. They don't even think to, to say, Hey, let's sit down and eye gaze. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you see is out there? What do you suggest for people to start actually learning new ways of being intimate with each other? The commitment phobe podcast, of course. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, intimacy isn't just uh, about sex inside the bedroom. It's not just the penetration that occur that can occur in that space. And so there are a lot more areas to learn on how to be intimate with yourself, how to be comfortable with yourself, how to be alone with yourself, you know, how to pleasure yourself without anything external, just by how your hand feels on your body. And so there are lots of, um, lots of different practices like that. And they all revolve around being able to move at a different pace. And so if you can slow down enough to actually allow yourself to feel, that's just going to increase your ability to, you know, receive pleasure and, and give pleasure, um, 
in all areas of your life, not just in the bedroom too, even with food or outside in nature or art, you know, there's, um, there are these archetypes that have been written about uh, for the complete masculine. And one of them Mm -hmm. is the lover archetype. And um, the lover archetype has two shadows. Uh, One is the addicted lover and the other is the impotent lover. And so the true, like, wait, tell us more about each. (laughs) About what those? Tell us more. Yeah. 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 So the, um, the true lover archetype is just the, the man who is in love with his life. He's very passionate about the food that he eats, the clothes that he wears, the um, things that he touches, the things that he sees, the arts, it's his sec, his sexuality. He's, he's really connected to himself on that type of level. Um, and the impotent lover is the guy who is kind of like asexual, just like doesn't really care, doesn't care what we go out, doesn't care what we eat, doesn't care what he wears, doesn't care what he drives, doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that vitality or that vigor in, um, you know, his personal life. And then the addicted lover is the one who allows those passions to overtake him. And so he's so passionate about everything that there's a difficulty for him to become grounded in what he truly wants because he's, you know, constantly chasing those dopamine hits of of these different highs in his life. Um, And so those are the, you know, that's part of the lover archetype. The the other three, um, and this is a great book that all this information is coming from, it's a king, warrior, magician, and lover. And so incorporating all four of those archetypes um, together is the complete masculine. Mm, I've never heard of that before. I love that. Yeah. Very cool. So where do you see where do you see men are at right now, like on a collective um, and what they're needing? I mean, I, you, you kind of have mentioned a lot of things, but, but I would love to just hear, hear you expand more on what you see men are needing right now. Yeah, I mean, I, it's difficult to uh, say for all men, but I think like really the like two main issues are a lot of the men that I work with are, yeah. are ones who have focused a lot on their business and a lot on their like um, king energy. So their ability to like make a lot of money, buy a lot of homes, have a lot of cars, do really well for themselves financially. Um, but it's so skewed in that direction that uh, their physicality um, is falling down to the wayside, their connection with something larger than themselves or their magician, that mystery in life um, has fallen. Um, and then sometimes even their, their lover archetype is fallen. And usually a lot of ego is driven behind like wanting to be that like macho king. Um, but the sh- uh, it oftentimes um, can be a shadow of like a tyrant. Whereas it's like, at all costs, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to win, you know, kill everyone else and just dominate. Um, and that, that culture is really reinforced a lot through even things that are so normal, like sports, you know, I mean, I, I played college football and all the time, it's just like, just kill everyone, just destroy them, beat them to the yeah. ground. Like da, da, da. video games are like that too. If you think about it. Mm-hmm. Videos, yeah. yeah. So it, that uh, really creates a culture of, a, of competition over like collaboration. And, mm. you know, competition's healthy um, just in certain times. And so like all things, anything can be overdone. And so with our constantly ascending and growing culture where it's like, I want 
more, 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 there's a real lack in appreciating the decent. And, you know, as I'm sure you're aware of, and probably your listeners as well, and in order to really grow, you need to go into the dark, into the depths, uh, into the West, as they say in some Native American cultures, into that place of, um, of mystery and um, darkness. And there's a lot of fear there. And so we have a tendency to want to skip that place because it's not fun. It doesn't feel productive. It's not, again, ascending. And so we're like, oh, screw this. We're just going to hustle harder, wake up earlier, grind more and get a harder workout in and burn out and burn out and then lose people that are closest to us, not feel connected. You know, then the midlife crisis comes. Um, Those happen earlier and earlier as the more driven you can become. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I work with a lot of the men who are right in that spot and mm-hmm. are looking for a path and some practices to come back to themselves, connect with themselves and truly learn how to connect with other people in their life. Mm. What are some of your favorite practices? The that, that- grat- gratitude practice is the best is, is one that I love. Um, you know, it's been proven scientifically that gratitude is like hands down, um, the highest level of indication of well-being. And so if you're only going to focus on one thing, like truly feeling grateful for your life um, will be the biggest payoff to your overall well-being. And, and I've, I've talked about this practice a bunch and uh, it's simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. And it also doesn't mean it's not effective. And uh, it's the four W's. And so it's uh-huh. writing down what went well and why. Um, you know, three things every day that go well, and then why they went well. And, and the why aspect is so critical, because it helps you take ownership over the positive things in your life. So, uh, again, with our externally validated culture, you're always looking at someone else doing more, more jacked, more money, more beautiful, cooler cars, house, whatever. And so it leads you to not feel like you're enough. And so coming back to you know, what do I do that's well? And then why do I do it? Oh, I do it because I set the intention. I took the time, you know, I had the vulnerable conversation and it helps reinforce those positive patterns. Hmm. That's so good. It's crazy as we're, you know, touching on all these subjects, there's such a beautiful connection between all of them. Like even just thinking about how erectile dysfunction is called a performance anxiety thing. And it's like, as a product of focusing too much of your performance elsewhere, you know, like I'm just seeing this man who's like focusing on going forward at work and focusing on like getting the harder workout and like hustling and that's, and like not connecting and not slowing down. And then that leads to something like, you know, the rising erectile dysfunction that you said um, has been like skyrocketing. And so it's just crazy. You think you think if someone wants, like if if someone needs sex coaching or help in sex, you'd think, yeah, just focus on the sex, but actually you got to focus on the whole person and how they're showing up in all areas of their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really relationships. Like I don't call myself relationship coach, but that's essentially what it is. Cause it's your relationship with yourself, with people, with your penis, with everything. And like (laughs) the better you can have, like, the stronger you can build all of those relationships, the happier and healthier you're going to be. And there are ways to really do that. Um, 
and then ways that are like a little bit more fluffy. And so depending on where people are at and what they feel comfortable and are able to do at the time, that's kind of what we move towards. You know, mm. I, I use it, I use the analogy of working out. And so like when I, I used to compete Olympic weightlifting. Wow. And so if, if I wanted to, you know, get stronger in a clean and jerk, which is a move, an exercise, for example, yeah. I understand, okay, I'm going to go through this phase. It's eight weeks long. I have to do my squats, my pulls, my, you know, deadlifts, my jerks, all of these things for this many sets and this many reps for that specific goal. But when we talk about like mental or emotional health, it's like, what are the exercises? And then what are the sets and reps? And oftentimes, you know, a story that I hear a lot is my husband's so closed down. My boyfriend's so closed down. He doesn't want this. And then he'll develop the courage to like go to a yoga class with his girlfriend. And the yoga class is like probably some like Kundalini, like level 10 class that he's like, this is way too much for me. He just needed to start with like a walk around the block or just like a walk out in nature or like waking up to see the sunrise or like writing down a few things he's grateful for. And so then he gets discouraged because it's like this stuff is, you know, too airy fairy. It's not for me. And then goes back into his hole. And so what I help, you know, men and women with is see, okay, what are the exercises that are appropriate for the stage that you're at in these different areas of your life? Yeah. So it's, it's more, it's way more specific than you'd think. It's, it, it's like kind of like a workout analogy too, where if you want to work out your legs, you're going to need specific exercises for that. And if you want to work out your back, you're going to need specific exercises for that. Yeah, exactly. And if I give you um, an exercise that's too difficult, then you'll get hurt or you won't like it or you'll be too sore and you won't come back. And so, Mm. you know, the the key is really on building a practice of longevity with this where the work's never done. And so it's developing a different like process and um, connection with it where it's not something where it's like, you know, I get a six pack and then I have a six pack for the rest of my life. I could do whatever I want. Like it takes work. And so it's the same thing when building relationships with your kids or your boss or your partner, like, yeah, it takes a lot of work, especially up front if you're not used to it. But then, you know, there are ways to maintain that and continue to grow it um, to levels that you never even thought were possible. Mm, yeah, so good. When it comes to anger coming up in relationships, how do you like to help your clients work through that? Like as it's coming up in, in a moment of conflict or heat, how do you help them um, express that anger yeah I, I think it depends like where the anger is coming from and how much you're able to control it uh, you know if two people are screaming at each other nothing productive is happening so you need to take some space calm down and then can come back uh, that's an easy step if, if you ever feel like someone's screaming or yelling at you or you're feeling like you want to do that to someone else like don't you're only hurting the relationship and pushing it farther away mm. uh, but you know, yeah like where do you draw yeah. the line between like having the space to just vocalize what's there and move what's inside of you and also making sure that, that it's not actually attacking someone yeah I, this is all personal preference I feel like if someone's yelling and cursing at me um that's not something that I want to be around even if they need <laughs> yeah. to do it it's like 
it doesn't feel respectful to me. So uh, mm-hmm. I want, I believe like there's two individuals, right? And then the two individuals choose to be in a relationship together. And so um, there are practices that you do individually to learn where your anger is coming from, why you feel this way, and then express it in some different ways rather than using your partner as a punching bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to come to them and be like, hey, this really hurt me when you said X, Y, and Z or when you didn't show up for my thing. I didn't communicate with you how important it was to me. And so I'm taking ownership over that. And that's usually the truth, right? Anger is yeah. always stemming from, a, uh, there's another emotion that's caused before the anger. So it's digging a little bit deeper and allowing yourself to, to go back and take that ownership over what is it that you probably didn't communicate or an expectation that you had um, that your partner wasn't aware of. And then they let you down and didn't even know they let you down. And now you're yelling at them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like in the moment, you know, I always like to remind my clients to remind body soul and our body can kind of take over in a moment where, you know, the mind and the soul don't really have a say. And so you can be in this, in the heat of the moment and feel all this anger. And it is just energy that needs to be moved. It just doesn't have to be moved towards that person. Like you can go to the side and like kick whatever you need, hit whatever you need so that it moves through you. And then you're back at like a level's place where you can actually think, right? Cause yeah, in go, that moment, take a cold shower. Yeah, exactly. Like in that moment, you might not be able to like kind of conceptualize what it is that the expectation was and communicate it. So yeah, I really, I really love how, how you put that. Yeah. You, you can't do it in the moment and that's um, not because you're weak. It's because you're physiologically designed to not be able to think in that moment because you are feeling a threat. And so when you feel that threat, you have to just react to the threat. You're not going to, I mean, with throw it back to wild times, million thousands of years ago, like you're not going to be able to talk to the, the bear like hey why are you attacking me right now yeah, bear? why exactly. what did happen like you have to just handle the situation and then can move on but you know we're not in those times right now and so if you're feeling a threat or you're feeling something come up um spending that time by yourself to calm yourself down um and then begin to become a little bit more introspective on why that's come up either with a friend a therapist a coach your journal something uh, then you can come back to your partner with more compassion, um, more vulnerability that leads to just more depth and a stronger connection together. Yeah, that's so good. You know, for me, it's been such a practice because when I was little, I would throw so many tantrums all the time. And like, you know, I was a very expressive little girl and I got the message that that wasn't okay, you know, because it would get to the point also where it was just out of control and my parents would have to put a stop to it. So I developed like a suppression, you know, of of my anger to the point where when things would come up, I would try to be sweet and nice and not have my anger show. But then it was like suppressing a lot of energy, you know, which obviously then had repercussions on my health and stuff. Um, So it's been such a helpful practice for me to recognize that, yeah, we're bought, we, we're just like, we have this survival instinct and our body is going to be flooded with a defense mechanism and we're not going to be able to, yeah, just be completely level-headed in the moment. 
Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a big difference between anger and aggression. You know, anger, totally normal. Fine. Can communicate it to yourself. You can express I'm angry. Aggression is different. Aggression is what I think I was more talking about earlier. That's the screaming and yelling and cursing. That's that's being aggressive. Saying I'm angry. That really upset me. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. So good. So something else that, that you mentioned is having a practice of radical honesty. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you mentioned that's something that you took on yourself, right? Mm, yeah, there's a book called Radical Honesty. Uh-huh. Um, it's a great book. Um, it's a very radical practice, but uh, it's one that, that I believe in. So tell us more about what your experience was like when, when you, like, why did you pick up that book and how did you implement it in your life? Yeah, so um, I learned about this maybe 10, 11 years ago. Um, and I was really, I was in my early 20s then, and uh, I was really worried and anxious. And I never knew like what the right thing to do was. I was living what I, well, a lot of the shoulds, you know, I should go to this graduate program. I should make this money. I should look like this or should talk this way, should have whatever. And it was stressing me out so much. I had so much anxiety around it because um, I was really looking outside of myself. And so when I read this book, Radical Honesty, it really talks about like removing that, that mask that we're wearing because we want other people to like us, um, which again is another uh, survival mechanism, which is normal that you want to be included and seen and connected with the world around you. But the radical honesty allows you to really let yourself be connected for who you truly are, not for the act that you're performing. Um, that performance, right, bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. is exa- it's exhausting. And so the closer you can get to truth, um, the more space that you can create to allow yourself to, you know, feel and really connect with the people, places and world environment around you. Yeah. What was it? What was your experience when you started doing that? What did you notice change, started changing in your life and in yourself? Yeah, I mean, it really felt like a weight, weight's been lifted off my shoulders when I can, um, you know, the, the book outlines like a conversation that you can have between two people. And uh, it's a, like a ceremonial practice because both people have to commit to the practice of being honest. Um, but uh, like in my current relationship, we have this practice where we reveal to each other the things that we don't want to reveal. And um, now when I ask, you know, ask her, hey, what do you want for dinner? Or how do you feel about this? Or how do you feel about that? I know that she's just telling me the truth because there's no reason for her to lie because mm-hmm. we've, we've already shared all these other things. And so, it, you know, it helps me, you know, trust in a, in a different way and develop that, like I said, closer connection where I'm not second guessing different things that people are, that she's telling me. Mm, so good. I think that's really what, that's really the biggest fear in a relationship, right? It's saying exactly what's on your mind. There's like this expectation of being accepted for who you are, but at the same time, a fear of revealing who you are. Yeah. It's what you gotta, nothing comes easy. Everything in life is hard. Life is hard period. You just get to to choose your hard. And like, I'd rather put in that that work in the beginning to know like, Hey, this is who I am. This is the path that I'm on. This is what I believe in. This is what I can give to you. And, um, you know, if you're, if, 
that sounds good to you, let's rock and roll. And if not, all good. We can, you know. Mm-hmm. So is this something that you guys took on from the very beginning? Mm, not from the like first day that we ever met, but but yeah, the practice of really communicating and working through what we're feeling and creating a space that feels comfortable to do that is something that's really important to me with um, all people that are close to me in my life. Because I, I never want, I never want, like, I don't know, maybe selfishly, I never want to be sitting there and like, I can't really say this, or I can't really do this, or I don't know what they're thinking, or I don't know what they're feeling. It, it doesn't feel good in my body. And so I'd rather just ask like, hey, do you mean X, Y, and Z based on what you just said? Or, or is it something else? Hmm. I, that's so good. You know, I think oh. to people, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, those necessarily probably aren't the people that I want to spend a lot of time with. Right. Yeah. That's, that's something that comes up a lot with, with women that I, that I talk to also, where it's like, there's just so many questions that could be answered that would make things so much simpler. You know, for example, like on a dating app where you're looking at someone's profile and you're wondering, huh, I wonder if we're going to work out if that person has this political like view, or I wonder if we're going to work out if this person's vegan. And it can just take a question like, hey, I'm not vegan. Is that okay with you? Or like, hey, I have a different political view. Do you think that's going to be a problem? It's like so many simple questions. But in order for something to be conflict-free, I think the tendency is to say, well, maybe I don't talk about that just yet. Or maybe I assume better to assume than, than bring it up. Right. No, that's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I get that people feel like that. Yeah. And, and, and for me, when someone makes an assumption um, without asking me how I feel, it's like, it's really disrespectful. It feels like a big slap in my face. And so they're trying to like be nice. And a lot of guys suffer from the Mr. Nice guy syndrome, where like, we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to do these things. But um, it's really selfish because what it is, is you're too scared to say how you really feel and you hide behind the guise of being nice and not rocking the boat and trying to do the right thing. Um, But it's really just your own insecurities and mental or emotional weakness that's causing you to not do that. Right. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the other person. As much as you think, and you'll convince yourself and you'll try to convince them. I mean, if we're being really honest, that it's like manipulation. You're really get leaning in in that way. And that's a hard switch. And I, I hope that the guys that are listening to this understand, like, we have to know where we're coming from before we can grow. And I, uh, I push a little bit hard in this arena, but um, I think a lot of men do want to grow. They just don't know how, or they don't know where to start because it's not something that is popular in our culture. You know, what's popular is what we talked about before, the ascension, more money, stay at the office late, do all of these things. And so uh, part of my mission is to really help normalize some of these other aspects. Yeah. And I think a really key part is what you said, which is it takes courage to be vulnerable because I can so see how how the how this path may not be attractive if it's going to be an ego death and it's going to make you weak and I mean the ego death is great but if you associate it with weakness and of course it's not going to be something that you're going to be super excited to dive into yeah I mean it's just like going to the gym you know or it's just like starting a business like 
you go to the gym and you work out, then what happens? Your body breaks down. It's sore. It's not as strong. It's weak. And then it gets stronger and it gets stronger. And by practice of breaking it down, you build it back up in a stronger way. Similar thing with business, right? It's no one that's ever started a successful business just, you know, hits home runs every time. Like you spend those long hours, you practice, you try something, it fails, you try something else, you learn. It's the same thing in this, in this area. And so a lot of men have this skill and just in a like more lateral format. And so it's just shifting that same idea over into, you know, their mental, emotional or intimate conversations. That's, that's so powerful. You know, I've never, I haven't really had this conversation about men before on the podcast. There's been a lot about the nice guy syndrome. So Mm -hmm. it's like men who've actually lost connection with their inner wolf because there's like this sense of fear of hurting women and like fear of being an asshole and fear of connecting to that fire and that power. So this is really, a really interesting, like kind of different take on it, which is also that men are just looking at how to move forward and how to do the, the ascension path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I'm even sure like simping, I think is like a word where you're just like trying to build up these other people. I've heard about it from a few of my clients. I'm not too. Never heard of it. Please share. But from (laughs) what I understand, it's really like putting yourself down to build up the women in your life. And so you're like constantly asking, what do you want? What, how can I serve you? What can we do for you? And um, that's one, like really exhausting for the women, right? Who it's like, gosh, now I'm responsible for like, not only my experience, but this guy's experience also. Wow. Versus having two people say, hey, this is what I want. The other says, this is what I want. And then if it's the same thing, great. And if it's not, you can just compromise. Hmm. Yeah. What do you recommend for people who, who have zero connection to what it is that they really want and need? How can they start getting connected to that? Uh, creating a space for that to come up. Um, also doing an audit of what you're ingesting. And so, so how much time are you spending watching Netflix, watching TV, on Instagram, um, watching other people have fun, watching other people be intimate, right? If you're spending hours doing that, uh, then you're not going to know what you truly want because you're too inundated with what other people want. Right. And, so, and you, you call this like the domestication syndrome, right? Or what do you call it? Yeah. Domestication syndrome for sure. Yes. Because yeah, it's like, it's, you know, no guy wants to be soft, but by doing this, it's being soft in all these different ways. And it just leads to more softness in the reasons, in the ways that guys really don't want to be soft. And so um, spending some time in nature is probably the best place to let those things come up because nature is really honest, you know, a tree and the grass and the animals, they don't lie when they're hungry, they eat, when they're tired, they sleep. Um, there's no like manipulation there. And so if you put yourself in that place of true raw honesty, um, it allows your own truth to come up and, you know, we're in a, again, I'm, it's not doom and gloom, but like we're in the world that, um, you know, is telling us what we should do and how we should be. And so trying to stay away from things that are pushing us outside of ourselves and staying closer to things or people that are encouraging us to look inside ourselves. And that's yeah. what I, I don't know the answers, but I know that they're inside of you. 
And yeah. so my all the work that I'm going to do is to try to help you or people or whoever look deeper inside themselves. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful. It just reminds me of, of a friend who talked about how he went in the woods for three days and completely turned his phone off. I think he didn't even eat for three days. And it's like what he did was eliminate all of these, you know, in all the influx of messages. And like you said, shoulds and things that were distracting. And what was left was really listening to the answers within and kind of having nature as like a mirror, which is kind of how you described, right? Like being able to connect to nature and receive answers because it was kind of mirroring back what was already inside him. Yeah, totally. I, I've, um, I really resonate with that. I recently did a, a three-day quest as well myself. Where yeah, the I quest. Spent time there it is. And um, in nature with uh, no food, only water, no phone, no pen, no, zero distraction, just myself, sleeping bag, and um, r- like true wilderness. And so, you know, this is a rite of passage um, that uh, different cultures have done for centuries. I mean, even longer, where it's an initiatory period moving from like emotional adolescence into true adulthood. And so um, the lineage that I was studying uses the uh, medicine wheel of the four directions. And so um, the east would be like when you're a child, when you're a young child, a baby, or and then finishing when you're like a grandparent. Um, The south is like a child. So really ego driven, like I want food. I want fun. Me, me, me. Look at me. Um, a lot of like our egotistic society and dopamine driven things of like, I want candy. I want this it lives in the South. Um, the West is the shadow aspect of our, of our personalities and of different traumas and, um, you know, darker experiences, um, of our soul. And then the North is the true adult. So it's really like, what are you really bringing to this world to serve yourself and the community and you know the larger being around you and so you know we live in a false north where people are really like focusing on the south but don't move through that uncomfortable west to go to the north and so we try to live in the north by like and you know call ourselves adults because we have homes or we have millions of dollars or we have kids or we have all Uh these things but without moving through that um, that West, we're actually never really able to claim that North. And so, you know, even if you have all of those things and all of that external validation, you know, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you know, there's something missing mm. because deep, deep down, you know, that there's, there's more, more yearning and there's more inside of your heart. You just don't necessarily know how to get there. And so a quest is a rite of passage that allows you to fully initiate as an adult where you move from the West into the North. And so for a lot of people who've had, you know, traumas in their own, in their own way, um, being alone in the woods for three days uh, with just your own stuff is really scary. And that's the point, right? That's the point to yeah, allow I it think, to come up and find that support. Yeah. You know what I love about um, Wim Hof, for those who don't know, Wim Hof is this guy who basically created a whole company around, breath work and cold plunges in order to heal yourself. Um, And he talks a lot about how in our culture, we're just so comfortable. 
we just don't experience any discomfort or pain. And we've just been, we've just created fear of fear and discomfort and pain. We don't have that integrated into our, our culture so much um, right now. And so what I'm hearing is, it's just, I mean, I've, I've been hearing it like this whole conversation, but it's really just welcoming pain and, and discomfort as, as, as like the necessary part of transformation in life. Um, and how there is, how is, how there is that like freedom on the other side, you know, it's kind of like Dante's Inferno where like he had to go through the inferno to get to purgatory. Um, so I'm just fascinated by, by what you're sharing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, you nailed it on the head, right? It's like, we have said it before, everything's some, it's going to be hard. And so it's just right. leaning into how you experience that hard. And the ice bath is a great way because it's accessible to everyone. Like anyone can usually step into ice or anyone could like turn the faucet on freezing cold water. And then immediately your body is, and your nervous systems hit with their reaction of this is uncomfortable. Get me out of this ice. I hate this. And it offers you the opportunity to practice. Okay. What's my internal dialogue? How do I speak to myself? How can I deal with something uncomfortable? Um, the more you can practice that, the more calm you can find in those, you know, uncomfortable, stressful moments, then leads to when you're in that conversation with someone and you feel that anger and aggression want to come out, you've had practice working mm -hmm. with your nervous system and are able to calm yourself down through your breath or through different modalities. And so the ice is a great teacher. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to get uncomfortable. Right. That's awesome. Because I think we put so much emphasis on the mind and emphasis on, on, yeah, we just, we put so much emphasis on the mind in, in order to figure out what to do in order to self-regulate when we have all of these tools that we can use of how to enter spaces of discomfort so that we're more, um, yeah, we're more prepared for, for these moments. Um, it's like, yeah. right. It's like, if you're preparing for a marathon, then you're going to go um, you're going to go jog every day, or you're going to do some, some weights for your legs so that when you do run that marathon, you're prepared. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting out of the head and getting into your heart. It's like the space from the head to the heart is like the longest 12 inches <laughs> any of us will ever travel. And so, wow. um, how can we do that in the most effective way for us? And, and how do we need support and help doing that? Um, you know, is, is a really important question to ask because it's not a journey that um, is easy to take alone. And I don't even think it needs to be taken alone. And I don't think it, you know, would be beneficial to take alone. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we're really, you know, no, we're communal gonna say, people. Right. Gabor, Gabor Mate talks about how as a therapist, like the role of a therapist is to get someone to feel safe, to relive the discomfort and pain that they experience with their parents. Like they have to be able to feel the pain that they felt as a child in order to move past it. But it's, it's like the therapist's role is to create that space so that they feel the pain again. Yeah. And it's getting people to understand the value of that because right. like, you know, you can get into your head, right. Of like, Oh, I understand why my parents were this way. I, because they dealt with their own stuff and this all makes sense. And, you know, you justify it now when you're older and you're an adult right. um but your four-year-old self couldn't do that 
And so that aspect of you is still yearning for that to be seen in that way. And when you can allow it to be seen and feel what it needs to feel, it can free up aspects of yourself subconsciously that you don't even know are holding you back. Wow. You have, you just, you, you have a really great way of, of explaining things and explaining why, like how things connect and why things are beneficial. You really, yeah. I'm just like blown away. You're able to like pinpoint, yeah, this will help because this is how it's going to turn out. So, um, yeah, I'm just really blown away by that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I, I like to try to make it as easy as possible Mm -hmm. because it is really uncomfortable. And so, um, if you understand why you're doing something and you can see the benefit to it, then you'll do it. Right. If, if it's a should, and you're just like, I should journal and you just write down like my day was great. I made this money and I ate this food. It doesn't have as much impact as if you really understand, okay, I want a deeper connection. I see the areas that I can grow and the things that I have to do. It's been outlined for me so clearly. Now the steps to do it are just, all I have to do is do them. And I can find ways to step and go about that rather than the unknown of like, it's so daunting because it seems so impossible and I'm so broken or I'm so hurt that like, Mm -hmm. it's just hopeless. I'm just going to double down on the, more money and more things and more external validation, um, you know, that does, it never goes away. (laughs) Right. That, that, that that gamble never pays off. Yeah. Um, It just leads to like more hurt. And and frankly, like more, what's the word when something just hardens, it just like, you know, it freezes up a little bit stronger and then it takes a little bit longer for those thoughts and patterns to dethaw. Right. Yeah. That's really powerful. I'm the kind of person who, I'm very intuitive. So, so if there's someone who I feel like can help me, if I'm, I can't even explain it. I'm just like, I know you're going to help me and I'll work with them. So it's been a practice for me to understand that other people are different, especially the men in my life that are very logical and data driven. And so in order for me to present to them, like, here's the benefit, I have to be like, and here's why, and here's what you're going to get. And here's the data behind it. And here's the reasoning. (laughs) So, so that's why I, you know, that, that, that is why, what, what I was um, pointing out is that you're just so good at doing that. Like, here's what you're going to get out of that. And this is why it's beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, it's always, it's also hard because it's adopting that mystery and letting some things be unknown and you might not know what you're going to get. And that's why it's so hard because, you know, our culture really focuses on um, numbers and analytics. And And so it's like, results ascent again it's the same word so it's mm. like if I, I can see my bank account growing i can see my body fat going down i can see my bench press going up i know i'm doing better versus right. like i feel better i have a better connect like it's like what does that mean and right. so being okay with note like understanding that these things just live in different worlds and neither one of them are wrong um, is really freeing for a lot of people yeah so good. Oh man, I just love all of the little pockets of wisdom that you have. And I'm so grateful to have you on, on commitment phobe and, and, and just really like the messages that you share on social media are, are so powerful. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for what you give and what you're offering and how you're, um, sharing your gift to the world. 
How can my listeners get in touch with you? Do you have anything you're offering right now? Or if they have any questions, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, so um, I have a few offerings and uh, the best way to get in touch with me is either on, on Instagram at uh, mike.idella. Um, that's my handle. Uh, my website's just mikeidella.com. And the, the main offerings that I have are one-on-one coaching with men and women. Um, and then I lead men's groups. And so there's our six weeks um, concentrated small groups uh, where we do uh, one extended phone call or Zoom call per week with um, various homework and tasks in between them uh, where we can be accountable to the work that we're practicing. So uh, really giving actionable items for the men to like apply to their life versus just like concepts. Um, and then accountability to see, okay, how are these things working and checking back in? And so the next group is uh, January 11th. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. And I will put all this info in the bio for anyone that's looking for it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has uh, been really amazing. I'm, I'm jacked up. And, and if anyone ever has any questions or wants to DM me or reach out, uh, please do. I know it can be really intimidating at times to, and not the most exciting thing to like talk about your feelings. But uh, it is truly a path to, to you know, greater freedom um, and connection, which is what we all want. So um, please reach out and, and I'd love to talk to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do, head on over to my website, www.tanaimilgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard so we can raise awareness around these conversations and change the way that we're talking about intimacy and commitments. Thank you so much again and see you next time.